Hi, and welcome to episode 174 of Live Happy Now. This is Paula Phelps, and today we're talking with Jonathan Rausch, author of The Happiness Curve, Why Life Gets Better After 50. Yep, you heard that right. Things start looking up at midlife, and Jonathan talks with our own Chris Libby to explain why getting older actually makes us happier. Can you briefly explain for those who don't know what the happiness or the U-shaped curve is and why you decided to write a book about it? (laughs) Well, I'll flip the order if that's all right. Sure. And do why me before what it is, (laughs) because they actually, it's a pretty good setup. So I've been, had an incredibly fortunate life. And by around the age of 40, I had so much to be grateful for. Good health, the career of my dreams, stable relationship, plenty of income, You know, everything was just golden. And yet I felt this encroaching feeling of disappointment, discontent, as if I was trapped and it failed and I didn't understand it. So I sat down, I started taking an inventory of things to be grateful for. That only made it worse. By about 45, I started to feel like I'd never be grateful and satisfied again. I just became really pessimistic. I didn't know what was going on because it was irrational and it really got very unpleasant. It wasn't depression, though. It wasn't a mood disorder. It was a contentment disorder. It also it wasn't midlife crisis, though it was midlife, because it wasn't that bad. It was more like a kind of constant background whining of discontent, but it made me like myself less. So that dragged on for a while. And then in my late 40s, Basically, coincidentally, I discovered this emerging literature on the happiness curve. It was called, coincidentally, about the same time, about the time I turned 50, I noticed I was feeling less of this discontent myself. It was starting to turn around. So I looked into the science and wrote a book about it. And what it finds is, very briefly, that the aging process all by itself affects how contented we are with with our lives. It's not the only thing going on. That's very important. Other things matter too. Don't get me wrong. You know, marriage, job, health, income, education, all of that. But the on average, the difference between being age 25 and being age 45 for your sense of contentment is about the a third, about a third of the effect of unemployment, which is pretty big. You notice that if your other things in your life are stable, and I sure did. A lot of people notice it and they think there's something wrong with them. And then it turns around after around age 50 on average, and it gets easier instead of harder to be content with life right through the end of life. And that U shape, that dip in the middle, that's the happiness U curve. So then what are the biggest uh, misconceptions you think that people have about this time in their life when they call it their midlife crisis? Well, there are a bunch, but the biggest is the one implicit in the very term midlife crisis. Crisis implies it's sudden, shocking, disruptive abnormal, there's something wrong with you, emergency response. To a lot of people, it implies get a red sports car, throw away your marriage, behave in an irresponsible or antisocial way. Well, well, that's just wrong. That rarely happens. The common experience is what happens to me. It's the opposite of a crisis. It's a kind of slow, grinding, long-term malaise that becomes part of the background of life. However, it can become a crisis if we make mistakes during this period. Um, And that often happens. People throw their careers or marriages away when it's not really what the problem is. The problem is aging. Biggest misconception afterwards is people imagine that after 50, it's all downhill. The best in life is behind us. We have stopped developing as adults. We'll become weak, senile, and miserable and die. Opposite is true. The emotional peak of life is in the 60s and 70s. 
Why is this still a tricky time, the midlife area for high achievers? It's especially tricky for high achievers. Well, the reason doesn't really have to do that much with external accomplishments like having some money and having some status. In fact, it's partly because of those things. So best guess about what's going on here is that we're wired to be ambitious when we're young. That motivates us. And the lure at the end of the hook is if I accomplish these things that I have in mind, then I'll be incredibly fulfilled and happy. But ambition's a trickster. It's always moving the goalposts. It's never letting you be content. And this goes on for year after year. And by your, by, by your 40s, you're thinking, gosh, you know, I've, I've accomplished so much. I'm still not feeling fulfilled. What's the matter with me? So you become disappointed about your happiness until then. You become pessimistic about your happiness in the future. And you begin to feel trapped because you kind of are in this sense. So that's one of the things that's going on. And it, it hits high achievers the most, actually. Some people say, well, isn't that a first world problem? <laughs> Answer is, well, first of all, it's not because this pattern is seen in societies around the world, rich and poor. It's even seen in chimps and orangutans. But second, even if it were a first world problem, it's still a problem, right? It's mm -hmm. still a nasty, nasty thing to go through. And then the other thing that's happening is that our brains are changing as we age. And that's actually physiological. We get more responsive to positive things relative to negative things after our 50s, experience less regret, less emotional volatility, and so forth. But there's a transition in between. So that's the other thing going on. So the bottom line here is that high achievers like me are quite exposed to this because we should feel so grateful, yet we're not. Well, a lot of the examples in your book show that when people, like you said, get to this age afterwards, they're on the upswing of the curve. There's more focus on other people. You know, why do we become less ego-centered and want to help others? Is that just a natural process of evolving, do you think, through a lifetime? Well, it seems like two things. So what's going on here, I mentioned that we should think about this period as, as not midlife crisis, but midlife transition, or I think of it as a slow motion emotional reboot. And it seems like what's happening is that we're moving from values that are focused on ambition and youth, you know, social achievement, social competition, kicking off those goals in life, climbing that greasy pole, getting those promotions and those jobs and those incomes and then whatever. We transition from that to later in life values that are more focused on community, compassion, caring. And it's conjecture at this point, but the scientists who've looked at that think that's probably because from an evolutionary point of view, once we're past our childbearing years, why would nature keep us around? Well, because as grandparents and as elders and people with experience and knowledge of life, we can give back to our kids and grandkids and our tribes in ways that are evolutionarily helpful. So nature moves us away from struggling for ambition and toward moving more toward a socially giving role, which it turns out, by the way, just happens to be a much better path to happiness. So that's why our grandparents are nicer to our children than they were to us. I always notice that. Like, I don't remember you being that nice. <laughs> so then what are some tips that you can give our listeners to be more aware of their situation and to cope what's going on with their lives and to know that there is happiness around the corner? Am I allowed to say, read my book? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, 
I guess I'm an author, so I have to say that. Well, it's a perfect book. So, so there's a, there's a bunch of things to do and know, which can be helpful. I wrote my book because I wanted it to be the guidebook that I wished I had had when I was 38. It is very helpful to understand what's coming, understand what nature has in mind for you, understand that it's not forever. It might be a bad patch. It isn't for everyone because everyone's different. But for many people, you hit this bad patch and you feel ungrateful and like you'll never be content, but it passes. It goes away. It's normal. It's healthy. So you don't need to beat yourself up. You don't need to think, gosh, what's the matter with me? Because that adds pathologizing it as this entire second layer of alarm and fear, which makes it much worse. So that's number one. Forewarned is forearmed. Another thing that's important is remember, midlife emotional malaise is often literally about nothing. I mean, you'll see in my book, there's actual science about this. It's not that there's necessarily anything wrong with your life. It's an internal process. It's subjective. It's inside of you. And it's not pathological. But that means don't be so quick to just affix the sources of your unhappiness on, say, your marriage or your job. I felt tempted to walk in and quit the best gig I'd ever had just because I so felt the need to escape the trap of my life and and escape the sense of disappointment. So that would have been a mistake. I didn't do it because I knew it was irrational, but that's how people make mistakes. So remember, it's not necessarily about your life. People do need change, often at midlife as at any other time of life. And then the question is, okay, step, don't leap, which is to say, impulsiveness, disruptiveness are not your friends at this time of life. Often you do need a change, but do it in a logical stepwise fashion. Build on your social connections, your skills, experience, your strengths. Consult with other people. Make sure you have a plan B so that so that this can be something that that's contiguous with your life and not disruptive of it is usually the wisest thing to do. You talk a lot about in your experience, gratitude being a big part of it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Oh, that's, I'm so glad you asked. For a while, I toyed with calling my book, not the happiness curve, but the gratitude curve. When people hear the word happiness, they think, well, we're talking about cheerfulness, right? How good do I feel right now? But, but that's actually not it at all. What we're talking about is actually, it's formally called subjective well-being, otherwise known as evaluative happiness, but they're always saying the concept of here is, this is not about how good do I feel right now. It's how good do I feel about my life? Do I feel fulfilled in my life? Do I feel grateful for my life? Is this the life I would have chosen for myself? These big picture questions, which turn out to be really more important for our overall, overall well-being than just our mood from day to day. So gratitude is a huge part of this. And for me, the worst part of being at the bottom of the happiness curve was I knew I should be grateful for all my blessings in life. I even counted my blessings. I literally sat down and wrote lists. And intellectually, I was grateful. But emotionally, I just felt dissatisfied. And that was kind of in some ways the worst thing of all because I felt like an ingrate. And what happens is, yeah, that's part of what's happening. You're making this transition. But gratitude becomes easier later in life. It comes back. And it has come back in my 50s, and there's going to be more and more of it. So that's why I thought about calling this the gratitude curve. 
I really enjoy when I read books like this that also where the writers, just not from the outside looking in, but they're also writing from their own experience. Do you think after getting through the curve that you are happier? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still working on myself. I need to learn to become more generous and more instinctively kind. But, you know, this curve is very gentle and slow. It's not a sudden drop. So around the time I was 50, I experienced real setbacks, the kind I had not had in life before I lost a job. I lost both parents. I tried to start up and it went south. Yet around this same time, early 50s, I also began noticing this fog of disappointment was starting. I thought it was starting to lift. I wasn't sure, but a few years in, I was sure. And now at 58, I'm, I'm really sure. So I am a textbook case of the happiness curve. Not everyone is. Like humans are all very diverse. Your mileage may vary, but everyone should know that if you're somewhere in the middle of life and you're in the fog of disappointment, there is nothing wrong with you. Normal, natural, healthy transition with a heck of a good payoff. That was Jonathan Rausch, author of The Happiness Curve, Why Life Gets Better After 50. We'll be back in just a few minutes to tell you how you can learn more about his book. But first, we're talking to Rebecca Reinhardt, who, along with artist Sarah Gale Nelson, has started a movement to spread kindness through art. Rebecca, thank you for joining us. I'm really excited to have you here to talk about The Kind Way and this whole movement that you've started. Thank you for having me. I'm so delighted to be here with you and to tell you a little bit more about what we're doing. Well, you started out with a really simple but kind of profound plan, and that was to spread kindness. But you weren't sure how you were going to do that. Can you tell us a little bit about the genesis of how you went from wanting to spread kindness to doing what you're doing? Absolutely. So I would say since college, I kind of, you know, branched out on my own and I had become very just passionate about people and how they interact with each other and essentially kindness. And so it was just one random day. I was on a train from Cannes, France to Paris, and I witnessed just one random act of kindness. And in that moment, I was like, I just want to do something that inspires people. I want to do something that you know, reaches the masses and speaks to their souls on wanting to just be a better person in general. So I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do, but I'm going to make it happen somehow, some way. And I decided that I wanted to paint a mural, which I was like (laughs) laughing to myself because I cannot paint. So I found a co-founder. Her name is Sarah Nelson. She's an impeccable artist. And we put our brains together and, you know, created the kind mural. And, you know, we started in October of 2017 with the first installation in Nashville. And after that, we just kind of let things take off as they will. So come, you know, almost a year later and we're confirmed in five cities already. Why did a mural pop into your head? So a mural popped in the head just because, like I said, you know, social social platforms are really popular and I felt people love to take a good picture and share it. Right. So I was like, wow, if I could put a mural up and it not only, it wasn't just a picture, right. It was something that people would visually see. They'd want to capture the art in a picture. And then it challenged them to, you know, it's a way for their whole following to see their message of kindness. So how we design the mural is what we like to call an interactive mural, meaning that 
it challenges them to do something. So with the design, it says kindness is, and then a blank line. And so the message is that they take a picture with the mural, and then in the caption of their photo, they put what kindness is to them. And then all of their followers and friends, family, you know, across all platforms can read it and then hopefully share it. You've gotten a really good response from all the cities that you've done. Yes, we have. People were just so taken back because they were like, wow, this isn't just like art. This is a message. This is a movement. This is some, this is a call to action. And so, you know, once people saw it in Nashville, we got so many responses like, can you bring it to, you know, Charleston? Can you bring it to Dallas? Can you bring it to, you know, this city in California? We've gotten so many people that are like, we want the kind mural here. And that. <laughs> That is so inspirational to us, and it means more than we could ever say, and it's so rewarding because, you know, yes, the mural is great, and yes, I'm so glad that they've, you know, found the kind way, but what I'm most excited about is that they're passionate and they they love kindness, and that's what's pulling them towards it is the message, so it makes it even more special. Have there been any responses that have surprised you? Yes. It's so funny. I think when we first put the mural up, our best friends were all there, like friends and family. And so you think you know someone and you know their heart so well because you're with them day in and day out. And the responses from the people close to Sarah and I, I think that has been the most rewarding because they were not what we had expected. Some people put, you know, their idols. I would have expected them to put, you know, kindnesses, their Honestly, I, I felt like some of them were going to do funny things, like kindness is sharing, you know, the last cookie or kindness is, you know, <laughs> not drinking the last beer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And some of, you know, they did it in an elaborate response, you know, sharing their heart about an idol and like a grandparent and which was so special to me because it, it really opened my eyes to part of their personality and part of who they are. So in, in a different capacity than I had already known. And I think that was, that's been so special. Same for Sarah too. I know she, she's the artist, she's the brains behind the, the artistry on the wall. And so for her, it's so wonderful to have people bring her artistry to life as well. You know, that's terrific. Well, we're going to tell our listeners on our webpage. We won't tell them on our webpage. We'll show them on our webpage how they can find you and how they can see some of the, the terrific murals that you've done. Where are you going to next? Yes, we're going to Wichita, Kansas, which is so exciting. We're going to be in a mall there. And then we're also heading to Charleston, West Virginia. We're going to be um, downtown on one of their main streets with a mural. So, oh, and what I wanted to, to let people know, you know, when we take the mural to the cities, each design is different. And we try to tie in something local to each mural. So the color scheme's different. The kindness is remains. But we love to, you know, when we get to go to these cities, we've learned something about these cities because we try to incorporate it into the mural to make it very unique and special. I know a lot of us have an idea and we think it'd be really cool if I did this and that's kind of where it ends. So I applaud you and Sarah for taking it and putting it into action and now it's become this national phenomenon and tell us where they can find you on social media. Oh yeah, yes. So you can find us um, on Instagram and the handle is at the kind way for our website. 
you can find us at www.thekindwayoflife.com. It's going live end of September, and we have a product that will be for sale come September. It's called the Kind Jacket. And, and those are very cool. I've seen I have seen your videos about the Kind Jacket. Yes. Oh, we're so excited. They're custom-made jackets, and we work with you know, whoever wants one to get their perfect design. So yes, so they can find us on our website, on Instagram, and then on Facebook, we're also The Kind Way. So easy three platforms. Awesome. Well, we will find you. And again, thank you so much for what you're doing to spread kindness. And thank you for talking with us today. Oh, I'm so grateful. Thank you for having me. That's all for this episode of Live Happy Now. Be sure and visit us at livehappynow.com to learn more about today's guests, Jonathan Rausch and Rebecca Reinhart. If you like what you've heard here today and want to hear more, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Search for Live Happy Now and subscribe today so you never miss an episode. And as always, we're going to give you a special gift just for listening. If you go to the Live Happy store at livehappy.com, enter the promo code PODCASTDEAL, and we'll give you 20% off anything and everything in the store. We just got some new merchandise in, so check that out. And finally, special thanks to our sponsor, Momentous Institute, who's having their 7th annual Changing the Odds conference September 27th and 28th at the Omni Dallas Hotel. Go to MomentousInstitute.org to learn more about what you can learn there. That's all we have time for today, so please join us back here next week. And until then, remember to make every day a happy one.